0: This is The Hidden Why Podcast, episode 958. This is my interview with Jeff Nishwitz. We're talking about the power of presence. Enjoy. G'day, Jeff. Welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here.
1: Thanks, Lee. I'm excited to be with you here today. Whereabouts are you, mate, in the States? I'm in Tampa, Florida. So Tampa, it's quite a nice weather area here. It's a beautiful day here, and it's December. It's nice.
0: Yeah, lovely. It's uh, it's warming up here in Australia, so we've had uh, a bit of a heat wave just come through recently, which is um, part of the, the package, I guess, but um, weather's pretty pretty consistent here on the Sunshine Coast most of the year round anyway. So, well, you're in uh, summer, right? Yeah, coming into summer, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So, man, you've got a lot of things going on. Um, I read a bit of your background and, and uh, previously a, a successful lawyer. With a company and, and made a transition to to becoming a coach. Um, what was the uh, the story there? What what led to that that transition?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it was it's been a fantastic ride and a lot of learning. So I used to work for a big law firm, you know, very traditional, very so called um, safe and secure. Achieved success there, became a partner, and I said, well, I really want to have a role in leadership. And frankly, I didn't see that firm ever allowing me in the leadership room. They were they were a bit blue bloodish, uh, very different than me. And said, "Well, I'll just go create my own firm." And I did that. Did it very successfully. Created what I thought was a really incredible law firm. We built it like a business. We had great culture, great team. And I had I was running the firm, bringing in clients, doing the work. I was I had all the success we say we look for. I had financial success, business success, and I even had a life, which Mm. most lawyers don't. But it was at that point that I realized I just didn't like practicing law. What I loved was the business side. And one of the big lessons I took from that is that I was really good as a lawyer. And the lesson was just because you're great at something doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. Yeah. You know, and that was a real trap because I, I was so good at it. I said, well, this must be what I'm supposed to do. And I hear that a lot from people. Well, I'm really good at this. And uh, somebody recently I was listening to on a podcast said something really profound. They said, "They said I, I let's see, I, I love everything I'm great at, but I don't love everything. No, I'm great at everything I love, but I don't love everything I'm great at. And I said, "Wow, that's just so simple, but really an important lesson." And so I decided to walk away from it all and began what I consider the real journey of my life. Talk about transformation! Yeah, well, you talk about the
0: journey too. Being, you know, that's life. It is about the journey, not the destination. And and I think we often get caught up too much in this, the the outcome. You know, we're chasing. The reward We're chasing the outcome. We're chasing a destination rather than, you know, really trying to experience the journey. And I guess that's where we can potentially get lost in, you know, whilst I might be great at something, whilst I might have a career that's, you know, seemingly paying me well right now, uh, perhaps we're missing out on something more in that experience and in that journey.
1: Well, you know, that saying, Lee, it's about the journey is like so many sayings that almost everybody buys into in words, but not in action. Hmm. You know, that's something most people would say, yeah, 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 it's about the journey. And yet their daily activities, their thought processes, their perspectives are all about the destination and the outcome. Hmm. Uh, Another one that I was thinking about the other day is there's a book, a wonderful book, decades old, called Five Regrets of the Dying. Hmm. And, you know, I was talking to someone on a podcast. I said, I've never met a single person who said they disagree with that book. They all agree with, they all know that these will be the five regrets, yet they don't make any changes in their life today. Yeah. As if that's true. I, I that's been that's the being a big piece for me, not with others, but for myself, is that I want to be in alignment with what I say I believe. Hmm. So I look every day at okay, here's the things I believe. Did I show up today? Did my choices, if someone videotape my day today? Would they say that's what he stands for or would they say, wait a minute, there's something off here. That's mm. just one of the personal commitments I've made to myself. Yeah. How do you think we change the, the way, you know, I
0: guess it's maybe becoming a bit more aware, self-aware, but um, to start living that journey rather than living the destination, do you think there's a story that we have to start start telling ourselves differently?
1: Well, there's, there's, I heard kind of two questions in there. Hmm. One is about how do we start shifting perspectives of others? And that to me is about modeling and being hmm. in really alignment with my own behavior. Because then when other people say, wow, I see this guy actually saying this, but also doing this, and he seems to have the outcomes I want. Yes. And, and helping them to understand that the outcomes flow not from the outcomes themselves, but from those choices I make in my day-to-day living, my day-to-day perspectives, and my own internal alignment and integrity. Hmm. I, I think the second part of the question is just as simple, but maybe really challenging work. And that is to do the work on ourselves, the inside work, so that we can let go of the stories. And- The big piece of that is the reason that we stay so focused on outcomes is because of our attachment to the outcomes. That outcome will mean something to me. That outcome will give me something that I believe I need. I need it to feel better about myself. I need it to feel safe and secure. I need it to make sure that my partner continues to love and accept me. So I believe that Ultimately, all of our focus on outcomes is driven by an internal question or doubt about my worthiness and my value. Hmm. And so, the more so, I have to do that work to enhance my value, my sense of self worth, and in many cases, minimize the shame story I carry around, what I call it the shame story, so that the outcomes I can detach from them. Because as long as I need the outcomes in some significant way, I can't let go of them because I need them. Hmm. So, when so those says, outcomes are well, – uh, uh, Well, you uh, got to let go before – it's like I'm holding on tight. How is that thing going to make me let go? Well, I have to let go first.
0: Yeah. So the, the outcomes we, we feel are going to uh, give us a, a higher sense of self-worth when potentially it's not at all. And so our, our outcomes then just continually grow, I guess.
1: Well, they do. And there's a trick in there because in the past, um, they've worked to some degree. Hmm. They have worked a little bit, not the way we want them to because they haven't – because to your point, we always need the next thing. We always need the next thing because we're if we haven't gotten good with ourselves, no matter what outcomes we achieve – we're going to need something more to continue to fill what I call the inside hole. But when we achieve some of those outcomes, we get a moment of um, like euphoria. We get probably I'm not I don't know the science on it, but I'm guess we get some dopamine yeah. from hitting it. So we got that spike. It's almost well, it's very much like a drug addiction. You know, the problem with drug addiction is we get this spike of a high from it and then to maintain the high because we don't want the drop off we have to keep getting more. Yeah. And if you look at the world and say why does everybody behave this way especially in the more advanced I'm going to say uh economically advanced cultures because you know this scenario is not as is dominant in some different cultures. Uh, hmm. You know, it's, it's really the more so uh, economically advanced cultures where success and outcomes are the true, are the, not the true, but the cultural measure of success and a good life.
0: That's what we yeah keep chasing, and it's interesting because I, I think the actual the uh, the movement towards a goal or a destination or an outcome is actually what creates the high, the buzz. But the actual result when you get there, the moment of the outcome being achieved. Doesn't actually give you anything, and that's when you then need to find a new outcome, so you can have that sense of fire because it's the dopamine, like you said. But the dopamine is the anticipation, not the uh, not the result, um, as far yeah. as I'm aware. So it's it's interesting because that means then it's about the journey, um, you know, towards the goal, but actually not the destination itself.
1: You know, that's interesting because one, I had an experience with that on my my walk on the Camino de Santiago in Spain yeah. a couple of years ago, which is My most recent book is about that walk, and Mm. one of the chapters is, um, I think the chapter, the book is called Just One Step, so all the chapters have just in it, uh, as it would, and one of the chapters is about just keep going, and a big part of that is I had some real serious issues with my feet, painful Mm. issues. Have you done a lot of hiking in the past? I had done a good mint before, and I was in really good shape. The problem was... As my doctor or a doctor explained to me once I got back, it wasn't my boots. It wasn't not being in shape. It was, I have an issue with my feet that requires some special padding when you're doing 20 miles a day for multiple, multiple, multiple days and just couldn't see it coming. And one of the things I, I a premise that I have offered since then is that most of us have been told our whole lives, we have to keep our eye on the goal. And I came to the conclusion on that trip, we don't have to keep our eye on the goal at all. All we have to do is be clear on the goal and then, like you said, set short-term goals that are action and I'm having those successes along the way, just like you said, and it feels good to have those successes and it helps me build momentum that helps me get past challenges. But every time I looked up, it was actually frustrating. Hmm. When I looked at the goal, all I kept seeing was how far I had yet to go. Yeah. You know, and it was. I said, "Man, I got to stop looking at the goal," and it was really hard because my brain wanted to constantly look. And I trained my mind to stop looking at the goal because I don't need to see the goal once I know what it is. I just need to make sure I'm taking action every day towards it. And that was the high, just like you said.
0: So the uh, the frustrating part was seeing the goal, uh, knowing the pain that you're in. And the goal seemingly, I guess the perspective of the goal was still so far away that it made it more painful.
1: Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And and, and you also had, um, if you've hiked much, Lee, you know what false summits are. Uh, This idea that you see this hill that you've got to climb and you get all excited (laughs) because you think you're getting there and you're round the corner and there's another damn hill. Mm. And, I mean, that's just the reality. And I think uh, so much of life and and all of this to me, the bigger umbrella of all of this speaks to the idea of just being present. Hmm. Because when yeah. I'm present, all that matters is what's in front of me right now and what I'm what I can do right now, what I control right now, which is me, has nothing to do with the outcomes. I, I can't predict the future. I can't predict what the issues are going to be, challenges, ups and downs, highs and lows, except to know that there'll probably be a mix of all of them. Yeah. But if I'm present. That's the magic of the journey right there, is being present in the journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the way you can trick your mind on, on, you know, going on a hike, it's a, it's a great example of, um, it's not an example, it's actually a great experience to teach yourself that, that level of patience and perseverance and being able to be more focused on the present. And, you know, I've done, I haven't done a 10-day hike, I've done a, a few days um and it is you're right like if you think about the goal and i know going around that next bend you're thinking oh almost there and then you see the sign that says it's another five k's and you go geez you know um but if you just stop thinking about it but again being clear you know that's the destination or the goal um yes that's where i want to go but then letting that go and really trying to be present in that moment um and if you can i know i uh i interviewed the iron cowboy don't know if you know who he is uh, one of my very first interviews, actually, and he did fifty ultra triathlons. I think they're on called. purpose. Yeah, nobody was, nobody was chasing him with a run. <laughs> no. He broke up and decided that's what he wanted to do. He did fifty ultraman triathlons in fifty states in fifty days. Oh, um, wow. Something quite unbelievable. And you know, he got to a point of fatigue very early on, of course where he said all I could do was just that next thing just that one step and that would be you know putting on the the shower cap or the the swim cap putting my foot in the water so I could do my laps rolling one arm over the next you know and he was very much just focused on just that next movement and kept saying to himself I know if I just keep doing the next movement that eventually however long it takes I'll get there.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would never do what he did. <laughs> I have no desire to do that. But the principle is the same, and I, uh, I keep coming back to that idea of momentum. Because yeah. it, everything is broken down into a single action. I mean, mm. it looks like he. I mean, he was getting into the micro. Everything for me was just another step, another step. And I found myself in trying to navigate the pain, saying things to myself like, "Well, maybe, maybe I should slow down." but I didn't like slowing down because slowing down gave me less a sense of momentum and achievement. And I liked the high I got from that momentum. And I I know that if I look at my life momentum, if I get into the metaphor versus the literal walk, as long as I keep moving and moving in a good direction and just keep that up, I'm going to get somewhere.
0: Yeah,
1: I may not know when or how fast and, uh, gosh, there's one of these really cool lessons from the Camino, Lee. I met this gentleman. I wish I could remember his name. He's actually from Australia. Okay. He's a very tall gentleman. He, I believe he was 71 or 72. And he and I had a lovely chat one evening, and he said that he had retired. He's, he's in great shape, but his knees, hips, and ankles are not. Hmm. He shouldn't be running, and he shouldn't be walking. Yeah. And I said, well, I think you came to the wrong place if you shouldn't be walking. He said, no, I just shouldn't be overdoing it. And so every day, like most of you folks, all of you young, you youngsters, he said, uh, you're all doing, you know, 15, 17, 18, 20, 25 miles a day. He mm. said, I do about seven miles a day. I get up in the morning. I go for a walk. I walk about six to eight miles max. I will stop wherever that next town is. I will choose to, I'll stop for the day. I'll grab some lunch. I'll take a rest. I'll have a nap. I'll explore. But he said, it'll take me three months to do the whole Camino. Whereas the traditional, so called traditional model, 500 miles in about 35 days. And I realized how much it's about time, right? Hmm. You don't have to do 20 miles a day if you have more time. So he was doing it at his pace, and his achievement is no different, no less, no more than someone who does it in 35 days or 30 days. In fact, to me, it's more significant because he said, Well, I don't have to do it the way most people do it. I'll do it my way. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think we all can take a big lesson from. Do it your way.
0: Yeah. Why do we rush through things? You know, we're always racing, (laughs) racing to the next thing rather than being. Well, what do you do? Like, what's your process of being more present
1: being more present for me has definitely been a journey and a lot of it was trying to understand it because for me when i understand what it is and what it isn't i can make more progress towards it Hmm. uh so here's my big takeaways on present number one the uh, the journey to being more present is not a journey forward it's actually a journey backwards because when we come into this world, we're the most present in our whole lives for most of us. Hmm. Because when you're a baby, all you are is present. You're not afraid. You're not doubting. You're not stressed. You either you need some food, you need to sleep, uh, you need your diaper changed, you want attention in the moment. That's it. <laughs> so you know it's so. The first of all, presence is a journey backwards. Another key piece to know about presence is being present is not the outcome when you have fewer distractions because a lot of people want to believe like their cell phones and the technology is keeping them from being present it is a distraction but if you put your phone away and then you say well now I'm present well usually you're not because you're still thinking about what about the emails who's texting me who's calling me what's going on at work Uh, I'm worrying about what happened yesterday I'm worrying about what I have to do in the next three days all of which is the opposite of presence so removing distractions is a start but it's not doesn't create presence Hmm. a third and this was a big one i discovered it while i was writing the book that in order to be fully present for another person we have to be willing to be vulnerable Hmm. because when we are present we are allowing ourselves to just be ourselves hmm. and we're inviting other people into a space to be themselves. That requires vulnerability. So I've learned that people who struggle with vulnerability struggle being present with other people. Um, yeah. The The fourth one is that. How do you know if you struggle with vulnerability, do you think? I think, um, I think most people actually know that. Yeah. That one I don't think is a, a hard question. I think the harder question is for people to understand how there's challenges with vulnerability create certain behaviors.
0: Yeah. I don't know if if people are aware if they're vulnerable or not, you know, because I think there's, there's a lot of cover up with your ego when, when you, you know, you can't accept being yourself or being, you know, a vulnerable person. And so your actions are probably that much embedded that, you know, you don't even notice them yourself.
1: Well, part of the problem is that we have a big – we have a lot of confusion about vulnerability as well, Yeah. especially in business. Because in business, when I talk to leaders about vulnerability, their typical go-to is to say something like, what do you expect me to do, come to work and cry? Because they assume that vulnerability is all about um, showing emotion. Hmm. Now, my answer to that is usually, well, I don't know. Did you feel like crying? Because if you felt like crying and didn't, then you're not being vulnerable. Uh, And I wonder why. What are you hesitating with? But vulnerability is anything that uh, involves us taking a risk of an authentic judgment. Yeah. Notice I said an authentic judgment. Because we're all judged every day. And what I tell people, do you want to be judged on who you pretend to be or who you really are? That's Hmm. the question. Because you're going to be judged either way. There's no safe space from judgment. But I will say this one of the biggest barriers to vulnerability is that if I am really, if I allow you to experience who I really am and I share myself with you, the risk is, and I get it's a risk, I can't diminish the risk, but the risk is you will reject my authentic self and that can be terrifying. Hmm. I'd rather have you reject my fake self Hmm. because I can live with that better than I can live with your rejection of my real self. That's probably the ultimate question we have to deal with or challenge with vulnerability because vulnerability is, and it also has, it's a confusing concept because it has a negative connotation, not only in that sometimes it's viewed culturally as a weakness. I think it's a strength, but culturally some people see it as a weakness, but also it it's like this I'm unsafe kind of exposure. Yeah. Because if I said, Hey Lee, for the next 30 minutes, you're going to be incredibly vulnerable. You may hear that as, are you kidding me? No way. Because <laughs> I'll be unsafe. But then if I said, well, Lee, how would it feel if for the next thirty minutes you could be vulnerable and it was completely safe? Hmm. You'd probably say, "Wow, that would be amazing." You mean I don't have to be anything except me? So, you know, it has a different perspective, uh, meaning of it, and depends on what your experience is, the ways you've been hurt, the way you've been betrayed, Uh, and we've all been betrayed in some way, Uh, some more uh, overtly than others, but we've all been betrayed. That's where the source of most of our wounds in our lives, whatever age we've experienced them, is some sort of betrayal. Yeah. I think that's a really good um, way to spin that, that, that
0: idea of vulnerability. And, and the example that comes to my mind immediately when you said that was the first time I walked in, I don't know if you've ever done Toastmasters. I probably assume I you have. have. The I have. first time you walk into there, they pretty much tell you, hey, this is a safe place, you know, and it makes you feel more comfortable to speak. Um, and just that, I think if you could walk into an environment and be told that or tell yourself that every time, you just have that higher level of confidence to, to being vulnerable. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And I will tell you this, speaking of Toastmasters, I was in Toastmasters a long time and our club was a very safe place. Hmm. Um, and I think there are some clubs that aren't. Yeah. Because I've been around some Toastmasters from other clubs who will say things like, Well, you know, we can't wait for them to give their speech because we can uh, get ready to fire away at them. Yeah. I know you're going to give them feedback, but why on earth would you call it fire away? Yeah. Um, Someone in another business group recently said they didn't want someone in their group because they were too inexperienced. And they said, quote, our other members will eat them alive. Hmm. I thought, what kind of mindset is that? Feedback is not eating someone alive. Feedback is just giving them a perspective that maybe they can't see for themselves, and offering them a solution to it. That's hmm. what's that got to do with eating someone alive? So, I think people. I'm a big I'm a big believer in the power of words and trying to find some common understanding around those words, which is why I've done a lot of work about differently understanding what is presence. Uh, and I will say this one: I think. One of the biggest things I've learned about presence is that a big part of it is being, making a commitment to it, Inver- an uh, out loud commitment. And I learned that by accident, where, frankly, I've learned a lot of things by accident. Uh, a number of years ago, I was setting up to give a speech in a small room, and the technology person wanted to talk to me about the setup. And I was trying to do something else, and I realized that I was trying to multitask, which, frankly, most of us cannot do. We think we can, but we can't. Hmm. So we're never really present, but we think we are. That's a lie. And I realized I was trying to multitask, and I looked at him, and I said, I think his name was Kevin. I said, Kevin, can you, can you give me five minutes? Right now, I can't give you my attention. But in five minutes, I will come find you, and I will give you my full presence. Yeah. And I said the word presence. Hmm. Five minutes later, I found him. I gave him my full presence. We solved it. And afterwards, I said, how did that work for you, Kevin? I don't think I've ever said that before. He said, it was awesome. He said, no one ever does that. They always try and do two things at once, three things at once. It doesn't work. And I really appreciated that you used the word presence. And when you came to see me, you were very present. You gave me exactly what you promised me. Yeah. And I said, that's part of it. I need to make promises of presence because it's a lot harder to not be present after I've made a promise of it than if I haven't made the promise.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, um, the whole idea of just reminding yourself and having that pause to be present, sometimes um, I, I find it quite often actually. I'm just constantly on the go and you don't really – you just don't get the chance to actually be present. So you have to sort of kick yourself and pause and just, you know, take a little moment and just have a deep breath and and um, that can help you sort of become more present even though you're still, you know, um, if you're a goal-driven sort of person or a busy person, you can still be with that task. And again, coming back to following the process and trusting that the
1: outcomes will take care of themselves. And, and the challenge is, to get to that pause, right, Lee? Because yeah. generally, when I get to the pause, I'm pretty good at holding it, but the challenge is getting there. So, what I found is I work on, I'm a big believer in muscles and habits, not just yeah. physical muscles, but mental and emotional and spiritual muscles. So, one of those is I know that if I can pause long enough to take an intentional breath, I will get present. Hmm. In fact, I know that even thinking to pause is an act of presence. So then I added to the breath a question that I can ask myself, which I've become, now it's a habit to ask myself, especially when I start to feel, I call it the frenetics. I can just feel myself just amped up. And I'm not stressed, not usually not stressed, but I'm amped up. It just feels like shaky. Yeah. And I'll just say to myself, Jeff, are you present? And as soon as I say that, I get present. That's all I needed to say. So what I've trained myself to do is ask myself that question when I sense the trigger of frenetic. Because otherwise, I could keep going because I didn't catch myself being not present, you know? So I worked on things that I can catch myself on is when I feel like this, it means I'm not present. When I feel like this, I need to take a breath and ask myself, are you present? Hmm. I'm asking myself, or am I present? Yeah. So I've built those habits that help bring me back to presence. And the main reason I'm present is because I love the gift of presence. You know, people think that presence is about other people, and that's only part of it. I can be present on this call with you. I could be present in a conversation with someone in person. I can be present to a project. I can be present in a meeting. I can be present walking through the woods, and here's the two gifts of presence in my world. One is if I'm with someone else and you know, Sam with you, Lee, when I'm present with you, I give you what I consider the greatest gift on the planet that during our time together, you experience genuinely experience being the most important person on the planet hmm. because you got all of me. And I just can't imagine a greater gift, a loving gift that says you're so important that I will turn everything off and be here just for you. Hmm. And the second gift is I know, and I realize this, that in a state of presence, I am unstoppable. Hmm. There, There is no stress in the present. There is no fear in the present. There is no regrets in the present. There is no doubts in the present. There is no questioning of who I am and my value. There are no worthiness issues in the present. Nothing. In the present, none of that exists except the experience of this moment, whether it's a person, a walk, in a kayak, um, yeah, presence is just so amazing. That it's like a drug. For, presence is a drug for me. Now.
0: I think I think it'll be your next book. <laughs> 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 that sounds Presence drug. There you go. That's... <laughs> and I like it. Hey, uh, where
1: can people reach out to you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm easy to find because I have a funky last name. Yeah. Because my last name spelling N-I-S-C-H-W-I-T-Z. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find my website at nischwitzgroup.com. And yeah, I'd love to have you jump into my community, my world, some of our conversations. More presence, just one step. Thank you, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, speaking with you today.
0: Thanks, Lee. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for the invitation. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed it too. Make sure you check it out. I'll stick the links in there for Jeff so you can check him out and connect with him at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.